0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. With a flick of a switch, we turn night to day and day to night. We can change seasons, actions and states of mind. Light is everywhere. Used endlessly and very much a part of our modern world. But what is it? How do we use it? And how is it changing our environment and our behaviours? A star-filled sky was once our evening entertainment, but now it's Netflix, iPads, Bluetooth, whatever. When was the last time you looked at the night sky? I'm Marnie Og, and this is Dark Sky Conversations, the podcast that brings people and science together to shed light. And tonight I have not one but two guests joining me from Ireland, and I'm delighted because they're good friends and uh, we've had a wonderful time together. But to open the session, Dan, I might ask you to read a very special poem.
1: All right. This is W.B. Yeats's Wishes for the Clots of Heaven. Had I the heaven's embroidered cloths, and wrought with golden and silver light, the blue and the dim and the dark cloths of night and light and the half-light. I would spread the cloths under your feet, but I, being poor, have only my dreams. I have spread my dreams under your feet. Tread softly, because you tread on my dreams.
0: When I heard that poem for the first time, I had tears in my eyes because as someone who is so connected to the dark sky I and three lights, the daylight, the twilight and the night time light, I was just uh, drawn to it. But I, I would love to hear your impressions of that as, as people from Ireland. So, Dan, seeing you've spoken about it, maybe you would like to go first...
1: Well, the effect of hearing that poem out under a starlit winter or autumn night is sometimes overpowering. Uh, And just recently, we had the good fortune of having a group of people under the night sky and for just a minute or two, nobody spoke. And then one of our guests... Recited that poem, and we were awestruck.
0: Mm. It just captures it beautifully, doesn't it? And yeah, and I think that that magical lyrical quality of of Ireland as well is really captured in that. Georgia, do you have any... uh, You're not Irish, so maybe you could explain how you are
2: there and how you got involved in all of this. Well, I guess I call myself a hybrid, Marnie. I'm (laughs) (laughs) 50-50. But but that poem um, and the experience we had fairly recently that Dan referred to was totally impromptu, which is, I think, the really nice thing about it. The the guest in question just uh, spontaneously recited it um, which is nice because it's something we often include anyway um, on our experiences, and he just felt it so appropriate and and
0: mm. came up with it. It was lovely, and that's ironic because I didn't know that had happened. I just chose that poem when I <laughs> I knew I was going
2: to talk to you. <laughs> Yeah. It, it, it's very relevant yeah and as you say that line you know the blue and the dim and the half light, it's it's lovely
0: mm. so georgia tell me about how you're involved with the night sky
2: um i guess it's a long-ish story so i'll try and shortcut it um i'm as you mentioned i'm not from ireland i'm from london originally um my mother's Irish from west of Mayo and my dad's an East Ender. So I think uh, one of them coming from the inky black of Mayo and the other coming from the bright lights of London had an influence. Um, I grew up in amongst a lot of street lights. Um, I can't say I was ever a fan of artificial light, um, right from an early age. And um, I moved to Dublin um, in my early 20s. And there I, I joined the, um, the light pollution um, campaign, although I wasn't active, and gradually made my way west to where my family are from. And I went back to outdoor education and started spending a lot of time at night in the hills around here. We're, we're on the west coast. It's quite remote by Irish standards. Um, there isn't a lot of street light and I found my place I found my place I guess um mm. uh, away from the light so uh, yeah I I've
0: been to that area and as you say it is remote for Ireland um, do you do you want us to want to tell us a little bit about Mayo itself is there any history that we should know about it or where is it on the coastline yeah so it's, it's just
2: north of Galway, um about an hour and a half north um, it's on the atlantic coast um, it's mountainous so where we live is very close to the national park Now um, and i said it was the most remote part of ireland it's known as the wilderness area um, and the national park so it's part forestry part atlantic blanket blog um, and it has very through very few excuse me routes through it um, but one of which, which is a walking route, is known as the Bangor Trail. Mm-hmm. And that's a route that old um, a, a, an old droving route where cattle would have been brought through from Bangor Eris through to Newport, which is where we live. Um, and it it takes, if you were to do it in one go, it would probably take about 15, 16 hours to walk, to walk right way through. But you're walking through mountains, bog. Um, and away from any man made um, infrastructure of any kind. Mm. So, when I was studying outdoor education, that's a place we would have often camped and spent nighttime experiences, storytelling, stargazing, just being there, being in the dark, and uh, it, it just resonated. So I suppose taking a step on from that as part of the course I was doing, I started researching uh, wilderness, dark places, came across um, Galloway Forest Park, which is where we met, Manny. In Scotland. um, In Scotland. um, And was taken by the concept of dark sky places and the opportunity for people to have um that kind of sanctuary to go to um which is particularly not just for stargazing
0: yeah and, but that's a particularly pr- appropriate if you're in the most wilderness area of Ireland and I, I truly believe that everyone needs a sanctuary at some stage whether it be from mm. the city lights or from noise or from their family <laughs> that there is a, a part of all of us that needs to escape and and get away and and re-immerse ourselves in the environment, the natural environment. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. So, Dan, how did you become involved with all of this?
1: (laughs) Uh, I'd always had an interest in storytelling and I had an equal interest in magic, performing close-up magic tricks in a live situation. Mm -hmm. And the two kind of happily married together somewhere 20 years back, maybe. And I began to tell folk tales, and interspersed the folk tales with uh, magic tricks, and this was kind of a nice combination because it broke up the stories, if you like. It was a, the magic was an interval performance piece, so 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 to allow the audience's mind to refresh before we might start another story. So that's how I got involved.
0: And how did you meet Georgia? Well, well
1: <clears> yeah. I'm in I'm in Newport uh, also, and uh, when I'd heard about the Dark Sky Project, uh, I got to know her through that, and uh, we well, we have yeah,
2: known each other through we known each
1: other for a long time, of course, through magic.
0: Yes. So, do you have you done magic shows together, or what does that mean? Conferences, or? <laughs> um...
2: <laughs> Conferences, yeah. My my father was a magician, um, and he used to run conferences, a uh, fairly big conference in in London once a year. And Dan, you would have attended that conference yes. in yeah. the seventies, so we would have met an awful long time ago. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, we've yeah. So, what do magicians do at
0: conferences? <laughs>
1: That's a very good question, Marnie. <laughs> uh, the answer will not be revealed to no.
0: <laughs> Not outwardly, anyway. Uh, yeah. No, not
1: outwardly. No, they're fun, they're fun events, and Georgia has organised many of them and very, very big conventions, bringing hundreds of magicians from all over the world to London <clears throat> uh, in her past life or living in London. And um, these magicians come to hear lectures from the best magicians in the world. They come to meet each other. They, they buy and sell magic tricks and trade magic secrets. And uh, it's a whole world of um, closet enjoyment for magic.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what, I've, what I've realized is they're not that dissimilar <clears throat> to astronomers in the way that oh. having a dark sky festival, they're a very similar breed um, you can, in, in the way that they've, they've got that connection. it's a, after dark experience usually <laughs> um and it's a little bit nerdy in some cases so if you want it to be nerdy there's a, there's a segment in magic for for nerds let's say um or if you want it to just be a, um, an entertainment or a more a cultural experience or a social event a, a social event yeah so there's yeah Yeah. I have noticed some similarities I have to say yeah
0: it's a lovely um combination actually having done your dark sky experience in the bothy in in the dark sky park I have to say I was blown away by it and I have to question how did you come up with that was it just simply using your skills or you know how did you get to know the bothy and and that, what that, is it for those who don't know? Yeah, that's yeah. the, exactly, yeah.
1: yeah. But Bothy is, is an old stone uh, uh, shepherd, shepherd refuge. Uh, Bothy comes from the uh, Irish or Gaelic Bohan, so a little stone refuge is essentially what it means. And uh, when this Bothy, uh, well, when we came across it, um, we saw it was the ideal venue to in which to tell stories because just outside it, we've got the beautiful Mayo dark sky above us. So you can get the combination of both stargazing mm. and storytelling, one outdoors, one indoors. Mm. That'd be fair to say, yeah. Georgia, yeah. Yeah,
2: and we, we try and light it in a way, as Stan referred to, candlelight. So it draws people in, it has that, um, that welcome feeling, that uh, Danish concept we were talking about um, a while ago uh, called hygge. So we, we like people to feel at home there, even though they are quite remote. It has to be comforting. People have a sense of fear, as you know, when they when they go out of their comfort zone and into the dark. So we wanted the bothy to be a welcoming, recognizable place mm. um, where they can experience the stories of the night first, a little bit of magic, and then we can interweave that as the sky allows. Um, and by that, I mean when the clouds clear. We do have quite a few clouds, um, but we can go in and out or we can do a little, a short walk um, to experience uh, nature at night, which is nice. Uh, and
0: it is that uh, having been there and driven through the, the park and finally getting, you know, driving, driving in through the dark and then finally getting to this little warm shelter with this beautiful glowing and the light it is uh, it just as you say it just completely draws you in is that integral for the magic as well
1: yes uh that's a good a good really good question um stylistically uh i'm more of a storytelling style of magician that is i i, I weave stories into the magic a lot and when you have a an environment like the bathy It it warms people, just the sight of it. And so when they come in, there's a a very inviting, old-style, relaxed setting. Just like in the old days, in the old Irish cottages, the thatch cottages, when the storyteller would come. And, uh, you know, our folklore is filled with stories uh, told by the fireside for hundreds and hundreds of years. So it's the perfect setting for it and for magic. The magic just seems to weave with it.
0: Mm. Mm. You you touch on the the history of the Irish culture and, well, perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about that. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Mm.
1: I think one of the things we should be proudest of is that the Irish government in the late 1930s formulated a folklore commission which set about collecting stories all over the country in a really brilliant way. Firstly, they got all the national schools uh, in the little country villages and towns of Ireland. They got all the children there to go out home and collect the stories, write them down with pencil in a little jotter, little book. And these stories were collected from their grandparents, their parents, And the thing is that most of these stories were never written down before. They were coming from that tradition of the storyteller holding a library of stories in their minds and passed on by mouth from generation to generation. But now for the first time, they're being written down and preserved in the National Folklore Commission. So we're lucky that we have such a huge volume of stories to resort to. So uh, I like to tell local stories, for instance, so therefore I can go to look for the stories that were collected in this area back in the 1930s.
0: Fantastic. I, I might actually ask you to, at the end of this, to actually finish on, a, on your favourite short story. Uh, that might be a nice oh, way right. to end this, so you yeah. can think about that. But...
1: Uh, I have another suggestion, if I may. There might, we have a little poem uh, that... Well, it was, it was improvised and just created recently. Well, Georgia can tell you about it as we go along. It's, it's a nice way to finish, too.
0: Okay. All right. <laughs> so, Dan, you just mentioned being proud of the stories that have been collected, but Georgia, I'd like to talk about how proud you should be about creating the first dark sky place in Mayo, and a little bit about how that came about. What what drew you to do it, and
2: challenges, obstacles, joys. Yeah, um, a mixture of all, I'd say. Um, what drew me to do it, um, it was practical originally. I had to to do a dissertation for part of my degree course in outdoor education um and it just seemed so relevant because I was spending a lot of time out at night in the mountains um partly for navigation partly for just experience and education so when you're navigating Um, you're doing that
0: by the stars or just landmarks um, or a little bit I mean we we
2: do we we teach navigation now and it's (laughs) yeah it, it is actually always something we try and bring in so we try and Um, because traditionally to teach people navigation at night they will be very focused on a compass they'll be very focused on the map and the head torch and when we do have a good sky we always try and switch switch off the head torch and you know only too well how how after a little while your eyes adjust and you can actually see we do have night vision to a certain extent and we can use um Things like the North Star, and it's it's nice for people to just use the natural navigation tools that we have. And, you know, even using the moon, um, and the angle of the moon to identify south, and then obviously we've got the North Star here, um, Polaris. So we, that's quite easy to point out for people, and it's something that they can go away with and use themselves. And we do that on our tours as well as in navigation courses. So when you talk about tours, is this with Terra Firma? This is with Terra Firma, yes. Which is your company? It is. (laughs) Our our little hiking and stargazing company um, in Mayo. So we take, um, just as an example of what we do, um, Dan's talked about the storytelling element, but the tour starts in Newport Town, which is the nearest town, small town, if you like, to the Dark Sky Park. We pick people up on the Starlight Express, our little (laughs) bus, and we bring them to a local heritage um, place, which is a 15th century abbey, and that's where the experience starts. So just to gradually bring people into a dark place, heritage place, um, a place where we can offer the opportunity for perhaps poetry, and we often introduce the Yeats poem um he wishes for the cloths of heaven and and then we start to look at the stars and we look at in particular Polaris the north star in the northern hemisphere and we start to follow it and that guides us not only to the Bothy but it guides us in the way that um, ancient people here in this location would have followed um, and would have used it for direction themselves and we've got a a lake and a river system that also we can use to to go north towards the Bothy so if you like part of the tour is the journey um it's uh its story its location and its journey uh from from Newport up to the Bothy
0: Mm. Um, and that's where
2: which is really how
0: the the stars have been intrinsic for people all around, ancient people all around the world. They've really guided That's them. Right. They've yeah. used them as a navigational tool. They've used them as a compass. They've used it as a storytelling uh, option as well. Yeah,
1: Yeah. A com- campfires and, and prehistoric man. There's evidence of prehistoric man in, um, in, in up near the body, up in that area, uh, going back 6,000 years. So we're doing something very natural to us, very ancient, and even now more so, more necessary than ever, Uh, you know, to get away from, to de-digitize and get away from lights, technology, and just be with people. And it's such a powerful thing. I mean, we've often discussed, you know, some of the best nights we had out under the stars, we could see none of them (laughs) because it was cloud covered. (laughs) I and was still there. You out...
0: just couldn't see them. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you <laughs> just still <laughs> there. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, but uh, but it brought out the best in people. Uh, first of all, silence. Uh, people adjusting to the, the darkness. For many people, this is a revelation. How much you can see uh, with just your native vision. And then we talked about all aspects of culture. You know, I'm talking about dark night culture. You know, uh, and there's folklore, of course, of the animals of the night. Uh, for example, the badger. Now, the badger is known in Irish as the brock or the demon badger. Oh. And the, the demon badger actually was a good demon. Back in Irish folklore, he was believed by the farmers to watch over their haymaking. So when the farmer would have his haystacks made And of course, you know, you have to get the hay in before the rain comes, uh, because otherwise you can destroy it. So if the rain was coming, the badger might sneak out at nighttime and save all the hay for the farmer. Take it in, stack it.
0: (laughs) That was nice of it.
1: (laughs) Very nice indeed, if only.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. So that darkness sky culture is not just about the stars, but of course the stars are the stars of our tour. You know.
0: Yeah, you know. but but it is, it is interesting because when I talk to people about setting up dark sky places, often their first fear is, oh, well, we don't know anything about the stars. We don't have, you know, we don't have a telescope. We don't know the constellations. Uh, we haven't studied astronomy. And I would counter that by saying that you don't need that, that, yeah. that you can do, you can simply stand under the stars. And you mentioned silence, you know, the power of silence. And then when you realise it really isn't that silent, that there are frogs, that there are little animals and insects moving around and, and, and you sudden, and all of a sudden your senses become much more acute and much more aware of what's going on around you. And that in itself
2: is a really magical experience pun intended yeah. that's right mm. and that's also where you get people to interact more especially strangers on a, on a tour they haven't met before once they have um, the inhibitions of vision you know daytime vision conditions restricted they're a little bit more likely to engage and that's why we have um, a recital recently that you know, the gentleman um, felt totally at ease uh, amongst a group of strangers. And um, it it was really nice. uh,
1: Yeah, and the other aspect, Marnie, is, you know, you talked about, well, people may not necessarily be interested in going out to see, uh, you know, constellations and things they don't know much about. But for the most part, when Georgia and her partner Jed are talking about the night sky and looking up at the sky, they're talking about the very basics, you know, helping people to understand some of the most simple and easy and lovely uh, aspects of the night sky. For example, how to find the North Star in the Northern Hemisphere, hemisphere, of course. course. Uh, And and then, then when you know how to find it, you can see that circulating around it, like on a clock face, are these circumpolar or circum north star constellations and that then brings up all the stories of the constellations the greek stories and of course our interpretations the irish versions so are there
2: irish constellations those. or are they just irish interpretations the, the irish versions? interpretations um, and adaptations um i mean one of the ones dan's referring to there is we uh, replace we explain Cassiopeia, who is one of the circumpolar constellations. But we like to link her um, to a local hero called uh, Grace O'Malley, or Grania Whale in Irish, who is known as the Pirate Queen. And it's it's just useful for us, especially when we're talking to a young audience. It's good for them to know, you know, the local hero. Who would have been um, a feisty, wild Irish woman um, in the 16th century who navigated these uncharted, largely uncharted waters, and would have had to follow things like the North Star in navigating? So we like to say that she's up in the sky, she's circumnavigating the pole for all eternity. <laughs> so things like that. We just link, you know, local local heroes or local legends uh, with the night sky.
1: And we point her out in the sky uh, as Cassiopeia Cassiopeia. and and tell her story.
0: My partner and I argue over Cassiopeia because his last last name's Watson. So he says
2: it's W... And my name's Marnie, so it's M for Marnie. Oh, it. oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's an M, Marnie, because we also say it's an M for Mayo. Okay. <laughs> I...
1: That's scientific proof for you, Ah, know,
0: oh, very good. Sorry, Fred. <laughs> so Georgia, you mentioned kids there. Do you do much work with students and young younger minds? We
2: we try to. We have um, a program called Heritage in Schools, and as part of that, uh, we go into schools with a Dark Sky Ranger program, and um, we we sometimes use you know um, Stellarium, the online uh, software where you can look at the night sky um, and you can change the times and go forward and backwards and explain what's out there, and then we just try and get them uh, making either making up their own stories or. Uh, as I said before, learning a little bit about local characters and maybe thinking about them in the night sky context. Um, we've another one called um, Dohi Born, who is a, a local giant um, who used to live in the mountains up above ballycroy And we've transposed him to the Orion constellation, <laughs> also a giant. So <laughs> we've got similarities. Yeah. Um, and even the dog star uh, following Orion, we've we've converted that to the Dower who, which is an Irish um, water hound. So he was linked <laughs> to Orion and forever follows him in the sky. Um, so a little bit tenuous. Uh,
1: G- G- George and Jed have a very nice uh, way of putting it. They would like the children to be able to recognise more stars in the sky than on the screen. Yes. So that's, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's lovely because we we do use screens in my mind far too much for education. And again, that, that experiential um, situational learning is just amazing for people of all ages. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it stays in the mind for much longer. Mm -hmm. These events do, you know, particularly when you go out into the wilderness, um, You can't but remember it because your body remembers it as much as your mind does, Mm. you know, Mm. and uh, so powerful, yeah.
0: Well, a few years ago I studied psychology and we were talking about about post-traumatic stress disorder and how they believe that it's because you are at this very heightened emotional experience that this trauma actually stays with you longer than it should. But I think the inverse is also possible that if you are at this heightened emotional experience where you're feeling comfortable and romantic and astounded by the world around you, you can also have a a memory that lasts forever. Yes.
2: Yeah. 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 Absolutely.
0: So what do you think your guests take away?
2: That's a good question. Um, well I'd like that they take away um a better connection with darkness um there's a you know a cultural fear of it um and we like to try and explore that a little bit and hope that they leave um with less fear let's say of the dark it's um we try and bring in the 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 nighttime habitats and you know to explain that that's as much a part of our twenty four hour day as visual daylight is Um, we like to
1: more respect for nature and nocturnal uh, nature as well uh, in so far as this comes into street lighting and all of that because uh, George is very involved in uh, educating uh, the authorities the county councils um, about the proper kind of lighting, the kind of lighting that doesn't damage uh, the procreation habits of you know, very small flying objects through the night, you know. Um, and I didn't put that well, did I? That's <laughs> also. I'm talking about
2: Bat- <laughs> Insects,
1: then. Insects, <laughs> that's,
2: the word, that's the word I'm looking for.
1: But those little fellas, <laughs> those little <laughs> creatures. But yeah, you know, so in other words, dark sky friendly lighting uh, is very much a part of her drive and her objective is to try and get this special lighting installed, particularly in the town of Newport. Uh, itself as a kind of a model town for this lighting mm. project.
2: Well, you've on something there. We're we, we are in the middle of um, getting a plan done for Newport town to, to be a, exactly mm-hmm. that, that model town, so a dark sky friendly town. At the moment, we have a lot of light um, that's shone on the heritage monuments and our church, um, which is almost like a, a signal into the sky, So we're trying to convince people that light should shine down from heavens, not up into it. (laughs) Um, And our council is working with us. So actually this afternoon I have a meeting with them and we have a wonderful Italian lighting designer, you may know, uh, Roberto Corradini, who Mm. uh, we met last year at our uh, European symposium. And he is kindly helping us with some interpretation of how Good lighting should highlight features like heritage buildings and uh, the church, uh, which is over 100 years old now. Mm. Well,
0: so, good, good luck. So I hope good you have to to you. let us know how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it seems and and i was going to say little actions this is not little by any means you know first of all you've got to win the hearts and minds of the people and then you've got to win mm. the 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 authority of the council and then you've actually got to find people that are willing to get involved and make it happen and this is this is big changes really we, as you say we've got a, a an understanding that light means safety and light means you know betterment for humankind and we we're slowly undoing those
2: those uh, Those points it's it's definitely starting to change. I feel I feel there is momentum gathering um the right way for us. Um and it's been a long journey because we started I think it was 2013. We got um first into researching dark sky concepts and convincing people locally who in in this area they wouldn't have had streetlights until quite late um, in, in the 60s and early 70s even in and, and some places the, um, the electricity only arrived in the early 70s so being the last place almost in the country um, to have electricity and then we come along and say well listen lads we want to reduce the lights and in some cases turn them off <laughs> um you know, it's it's a leap yeah um, but there's a sense of pride i i feel now uh, when I'm talking to people local people um they're often explaining you know how wonderful um their last night's view was and what they've seen in the night sky and that's not something that i would have heard at the start of the project um mm. so yeah
0: well well done it's rewarding absolutely yeah. So on that high note, I might start to wind this up, but Dan, you mentioned that you have a little anecdote that you'd like to share with us. Yeah.
1: Well, let's take one of the constellations in the sky, which I'll reveal in a moment. But first I'll bring us back to an old Irish myth, the myth of the children of Lir. These four children were transformed into swans by the wicked stepmother. And they were cursed to fly endlessly through awful, terrible weather, tempests, and in the world's worst places. For 900 years they were cursed. And they were told that they would only be free from this curse when they would hear a mystical bell. Now, I ask you, how did they know what this mystical bell would be? Well, while they were flying on their last days of the 900 over the beautiful island of Inishglora off the west coast of Mayo, they heard a bell. This was a bell rung by St. Quay Vogue and he was instructed by his boss, St. Brendan, to ring this bell on this particular morning and down flew the four swans. And of course he was astonished to see them. And then they slowly changed, their feathers fell off, arms appeared and limbs appeared, legs grew longer, then, then their necks got shorter, and they transformed back into people. But now they were 900 years old and literally disintegrating before his eyes. They told him their story as quickly as they could and then they changed into dust. And he blessed them. At that point when he blessed them, they transformed into four beautiful globes of light which flew up into the sky and they formed the shape in the sky of a swan, a swan we can see to this very day. We call it Cygnus and Cygnus is up there reminding us of this story and its position in the night sky.
0: Lovely. Well, yeah. What a lovely way to end. So I would like to thank you both very much. It's been a lovely conversation. I've enjoyed it thoroughly and I'm sure our podcasters will too. And on that note, we uh, podcasters out there, we'd really love your feedback, thoughts, ideas and questions. Uh, if you'd like to send us a question, you could do so at podcast at darkskytraveller.com.au. In the meantime, if you haven't already, jump online and book your tour in County Mayo with Terra Firma and you too can have one of these You're nice so welcome. experiences.
2: <laughs> thank you very much.
1: Well, thank Thanks you so too, Marnie. Marnie, thank you.
2: Hope to see you back here again one day. (laughs) Thank you.